this is your first time here today, I have some bad news for you. I haven't preached in a month. For the first time in 20 years, I took the last three weeks off, so I hope you left your crock pot on low today. I hope you're buckled in. I hope you're comfortable in your seat, because we ain't getting out early today. You say, well, I thought we'd be out an hour. Well, you were wrong. So you picked a good Sunday to come. I know there's a lot of people here supporting Rhonda today. I planned this with Rhonda. I said, bring them on a week that I'm going to preach for three and a half hours. She agreed, and we're good to go. I would say without, I'm just kidding, not not going to be three and a half hours, maybe three. I would say without a shadow of a doubt, that is one of, in my opinion, the top 20 most recognizable songs of all time. For my generation, I'm 45 years old, I would even move that up and say it's probably one of the top 10 most recognizable songs of all time. It doesn't matter what type of music fan you are, you could be a country fan, a blues fan, a rock fan, a pop fan, everybody knows living on a prayer. And it's just one of those songs that I think connects with people because the reality is Every single one of us, I don't care if you're white, if you're black, if you're rich, you're poor, I don't care what you've been through, what you've done, where you were raised, at one time or another, every single one of us have been at a place in life where we are simply living on a prayer, where we have nothing else that we can do but pray. We've tried to do it all on our own. We've tried to fix everything. We've tried to make everything right. But at the end of the day, every single one of us have come to the end of our ropes where our hurts and our habits and our hangups have overwhelmed us so much that we simply have to stop and realize it's out of our control and we're living on a prayer. The problem with that, though, is this. We are a society that has resorted to prayer as the last resort instead of the first resort. How many times have you told someone, man, there's nothing left to do but pray? Almost like it's a bad thing. Almost like, man, you're screwed. (laughs) We better pray now. I wonder what would happen if we changed our mindset. Instead of waiting till our world was falling apart and living on a prayer, we lived every day on a prayer. We became like the Waffle House, baby. We're 24-7, 365. Not like, not like the post-COVID Waffle House that closes half the restaurant after 11. I'm talking about pre-COVID Waffle House that nuclear war could take place, and they're still serving. I'll never forget about two years ago in Panama City Beach, the hurricane came through. It literally destroyed Panama City, and everybody was posting pictures. The only restaurant in town open was the Waffle House. Scattered, smothered, covered, baby. That's how you do it. That's the way our prayer life needs to be. I wonder how we would adapt to society and how we would get through the struggles of life because make no mistake about it, life is a struggle. If we started living life, living on a prayer. 
Living life realizing that we have no control over our situation, that God's in control of everything. To realize that if we put God at the center of our lives and the center of our thoughts and especially the center of our decision making, how much different our lives would be. Today we're going to look at the subject of prayer. And I struggled with this message. I, I wanted to come back after being off for a month and, man, do a screaming, shouting, hooping, hollering, man, God is good, and you're going to fry like bacon, and, whoa, every cliche that there is I could think of and get you all pumped up. But I kept going back to simple sermon, an educational sermon, prayer 101, if you will, Christianity 101, if you will. Because there's times in life we don't need to learn more. We need to go back and remember what we've already been taught. There's times in life that you've got to get back to the fundamentals, if you will. There's times you've got to go back to the basics because they're the foundation of everything that we are. And make no mistake about it today, the foundation of our faith is built upon prayer. Yet we're a society that has made it last resort instead of first resort. (laughs) We're a society that prayer is what we do when we have no other option, if you will. (laughs) And, And I'm convinced the reason of that is, is simply because most of us, if we were to be honest, we know about prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We know that when our world is falling apart, we're going to go in prayer. Let's be honest. How many of you, and I know this is church, and I know it's hard for you to be honest because it's church. How many of you have ever been drunk before? I'll raise two hands. One time. One time ever in my life I was drunk. One time. How many of you drank so much that the next morning it's possible you were regurgitating, that's puking for you Pickens County folks, the alcohol you drank the night before. Anybody? Just being honest. Now how many of you would say in that moment of hugging that porcelain toilet, it was some of the most sincere prayers you've ever prayed in your life? God, I promise, I'm talking about tears are running down your face, snot's coming out of your nose, vomit is coming down. I don't know what is going on with this mic today. Hold on. I think David messed it up. He didn't want me preaching good after him. Listen, I'm talking about some of the most sincere prayers you've ever prayed. God, please. Just get me through this moment. And I'll never know when we're lying to the creator of the universe. I'll never drink again. We believe in prayer. When life is folding in around us, we understand the importance of prayer. But the reality is we don't live a life of prayer because I think we have some misconceptions about what prayer is. 
We simply don't know how to pray. Let's be honest. Praying isn't something that comes natural to us. You're talking about verbally speaking or mentally speaking or emotionally speaking or spiritually speaking to an existence that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't feel, and who in an audible voice doesn't speak back to you. It doesn't come natural for us. The reality is you have to be taught to pray. And I think the amazing thing about the New Testament, I think this is the most amazing book ever written for whatever question you're asking in life, the answer is here. But the need and the desire to know how to pray is not something new. Matter of fact, Jesus put 12 disciples around him, and those 12 disciples did everything with him. They were his tribe, if you will. Where Jesus went, they went. Where Jesus ate, they ate. Where Jesus slept, they slept. When Jesus went through persecution, they went through persecution. If there was anybody who understood the heart of Jesus, it was the disciples. Yet over and over and over and over in the New Testament, you'll see them going to Jesus and simply asking Jesus to teach them to pray. The Bible says this in Luke 11, right around verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, think about this for a moment. Leave that scripture up, Xander. That's a powerful verse that if you're just reading, you would overlook very quickly. Jesus is out doing his thing. The disciples have been hanging out with Jesus. Like I said, they're eating with him. They're where he lays his head. They're laying their head. Man, they're traveling the country with him. They'd seen Jesus do some crazy stuff. Let's just be honest today. You don't travel with Jesus and not see some crazy stuff. I'm talking about they had seen dead people brought back to life. I don't know about you. Maybe you've had some wild nights and you've seen that happen before. I have not. Okay? I ain't ever rolled with anybody who's like, see that dead dude? Back alive. I mean, there were some crazy things that happened. I mean, one time Jesus teaching 5,000 people, there's just a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. He prays over the bread, over the fish, and boom, 5,000 people are fed. Now, I got a country granny. And I've seen my country granny go to the cupboard before and open it up and pull nothing out of something and feed a whole mess of folks. Because that's what country grannies do. But I ain't ever seen her take some fish and some bread and feed 5,000 people and have more left over than when she started. What I'm saying is, is the disciples saw some crazy-ish, if you will. One time, think about this, one time Jesus rolls up on a blind guy. Where's Bob at? Bob is back there. Bob, we have the only blind greeter in America. <laughs> Literally on Cherokee Connect the other day, someone was like, I'm looking for a church. And someone wrote, they said, man, you should come to our church. From the moment you walk in the door, we got the friendliest greeters. I responded, I said, well, we have friendly greeters too, but he might not say hello because he might not see you. He might, if he doesn't hear you, he's like a ninja. If he don't hear you, you ain't get a hello. 
Blind dude rolls up to Jesus. Jesus spits in the mud. Mixes the, or the dirt, mixes the dirt up, makes some mud, slaps the mud on the dude's eyes. Boom, dude, not blind anymore. What I'm saying is, is the disciples saw some crazy things. Yet never once did they go to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to raise the dead. Never once did they go to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to multiply the food where we can feed thousands of hungry people. Never once did the disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to do that mud thing. But they see Jesus praying. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished one of them, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. I, I need you to teach us how to do that. I, I don't know what it is they saw when they saw Jesus pray, but they saw something that moved them. Well, I don't know what it is they saw in the way Jesus prayed to the Father, but they had to see something that was so intimate they wanted a part of it. They saw the Son connecting with the Father. They saw something that was relational and so intense they knew they lacked it. It was almost supernatural. It was holy. It was something that was so amazing they jumped up and said, Hey! I, I need you to teach me how to do that. I don't care about that mud thing. Man, dead people can stay dead. Listen, I, I'll find some food to feed all the hungry people. I, I need to learn about this prayer thing. Jesus, that, that was so moving and it was so powerful. I need to know what it is that you just did. They were asking, how do we live on prayer? How do we make prayer so powerful? We've watered down prayer. It's one of those things that we've heard so much about that it goes in one ear and out the other. Because we don't understand how to maximize, how to get the most out of this amazing gift. Think about it for a second. The creator of the universe gave us direct access to him. I don't have to go through the priest to talk to God. You don't have to, you ought to thank God every day for this. You don't got to go through me to get to God. You know what kind of shape you ought to be in. God, I can't remember what, what Jim needed, but I think it was important. Um, man, I, I don't remember, Lord. Y'all be in bad shape. We got like a red phone. We got like a bat line. Boo, hey. God, I need you. There was a hunger deep inside Jesus, and they saw it, and they had to have it. Throughout Scripture, matter of fact, in a couple of different places in the New Testament, you'll see where Jesus stepped back, and he began to show the disciples how to pray. He wanted them to know the importance of prayer. But because what he wanted them to know was, hey, the spitting in the mud thing, that comes from a life of prayer. Hey, that, that feeding all these people when it doesn't make sense because we don't have enough food, that comes because I live a life of prayer. 
Hey, the reason my marriage is what my marriage is or my kids are what my kids are or I live this purpose in my life or I get through this, I function throughout life and you think there's something different, it's because I've bathed my life in prayer. I've coated in it, I've bathed in it. And Jesus says, I want you to learn how to do this. And so as they ask this, Jesus goes into something and he says, our father, he said, this then is how you should pray. This then let me clarify something for you. I'm going to offend some of you today, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Some of you use the excuse that the Bible is complicated not to read the Bible. There's nothing complicated about this. This, then, is how you should pray. Guess what that means? This, what I'm about to show you, is how you should pray. I don't understand it. Then you're an idiot. There's nothing complicated about that. I don't think I'll be back. Okay, cool. I'm telling you, this is what he's saying. It's not complicated. You don't got to break it down in the original language. You don't got to dissect it. He's saying, this then is how you should pray. Notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, this is what you should pray. We've taken the Lord's Prayer and made it some sacred prayer that we think we have to repeat for word for word. No, 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 no. He just said, here's some characteristics of prayer. I'm going to break those down for you. It's going to be simple, and you're going to get it, and then you're going to decide what you do with it. I'm going to go about my day. That's how it works around here. I'm not going to shove it down your throat. What you do with this, your business. I'm smoking what I'm selling. I'm going to follow it. How you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer. Hands down, the most famous prayer in all the Bible. People who have never been in church know this prayer. People have it posted on their pictures on their wall. It's the Lord's Prayer. We got an uproar when they were going to remove this prayer, this and the Ten Commandments, from the Capitol. We know this prayer. Don't fall asleep back there, Xander. God says, I- I've got a gift for you. You've asked me to show you how to pray. I'm going to give you this gift. It's called the Lord's Prayer. I- I'm going to show you some characteristics, if you will, on what needs to be included in your prayer. Again, don't miss this. He isn't saying we have to say these exact words. The Bible talks about vain repetition in our prayer life. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you some elements of what you need. I'm going to share these elements with you, and at the end of the message, I'm going to share them again. They'll all be up there together. You ought to pull out your camera and take a picture of them. You should. Because I'm going to teach you something today. Next week, we're going to rah, rah, cheerlead, and brag on Jesus. You don't need to take no pictures. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. But today, we're going to learn. Because if we learn this principle, this single principle will change the rest of your walk with God. You live on prayer. You've got to learn the power of prayer. <laughs> we're going to drill down on this. We're going to unpack this together. We're going to see what it looks like. What should we say? 
What are the things that should be included in our prayer life? And what you're going to see is you're going to see five things throughout this prayer. Five elements that need to be included in our prayer. Now, hear me out. We don't serve a legalistic God who says all these elements have to be there every time you pray. I'm just saying they're vital components of our prayer life. The first thing we should do when we pray is we should seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. It's key. This convicted me this week. Look what he says. This thing is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. The original language, the original text here was written in Greek. And this word hallowed, it means how holy is your name. What Jesus is saying, he's saying when you come to the Father, we need to recognize who we're coming to. There's an awe that comes with that. There's a respect that comes with that. We need to recognize that he is holy because of the office that he holds of God. That he's pure. Recognize that he is set apart. There's a reason when we acknowledge the president, we acknowledge him as president, who he is. Not my president. Yeah, he is. You can get mad all day long, he is. He's in the White House. You ain't got to like him. I ain't saying I like him. But he ain't Joe. It's President Biden. Not my president. Then you're an idiot. Again, let me go back to that. You're an idiot then. I get a kick on Facebook. The same people who got mad at the people who said, got mad when people said Trump wasn't the president and the people who say Biden's not the president. He is. Today. But you don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming. When it comes, it comes. Today he's our president, and we, we honor that office. He's the creator of the universe. He's God. Can I tell you something I have been guilty of as a preacher over the years? In my attempt, that's what God convicted me of this week. In my attempt to make Christianity relevant, in my attempt to teach in a way that those who don't do church understand? I have watered down the power of God. God is not your pal. He's not JC. He's not your buddy you bump knuckles with. He's the creator of the freaking universe. He spoke it into existence. He formed you out of the muck and the mire, and he placed your feet on the solid ground. He has the hairs on your head numbered. You don't go through anything today that he didn't go through yesterday. He's God. And the church has watered down who he was to make him approachable. We can't call him the father because people have had bad experiences with their father. I'm sorry you've had a bad experience with your father. Stand in line and join the club. He's God the father. He's perfect. He loves you right where you are. He loves you in the midst of your mess. He loves you in the midst of your sin. He loves you in the midst of your addiction. Listen, God doesn't say get cleaned up and I'll love you. He says I love you right where you are. Only a God can love like that. He's not a God, he's the God. 
When I get to heaven, I'm going to high-five JC and tell him I'm glad to be here. No, you're going to fall on your face in worship of the creator of the universe. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the great shepherd. He's the physician. He's whatever you need. He says, who shall I say to me? He says, I am that I am. What does that mean, Gary? It means whatever you need him to be. You need him to clean you up, he'll clean you up. He's God. There is but one. Well, I believe there is but one. Things that are different are not the same. Can't we just all be right? Things that are different are not the same. He's God. (laughs) I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. Sitting in an old independent, fundamental, King James only, turn or burn, get right or get left, Baptist church. All to win a $25 bet. I'm sitting on the back row. You've heard me tell this story before. I'm not, I am going to tell it. I'm in this church, and there's these thrones up on the stage. You've never been in a more traditional old school church. They have these thrones on the stage. And like the music guy sits in one throne. And like, I don't know who, like, I guess the head deacon sits in But then there's a big throne. Big throne for the preacher. The MOG, the man of God is what they call him. I need me a throne up here. <laughs> And the whole time, the music, because they don't have worship pastors with long hair that look like Van Zandt. Man, they got like a guy up here just waving his hand. And they sing out of a thing called a hymnal. It's amazing. It's, I love old school religion. But the funny thing about the hymnal is it has all these verses, but you, you always sing like the first, second, and fifth verse. If something, something's evil about the third and fourth verse, I've never been able to figure that out. It's like, we're going to sing the first, the third, and the fifth. But the whole time he's singing, I'm in this church, and there's this little five-foot-three Cherokee Indian man on his feet, like his feet are in the throne. He's not sitting on his buttocks in the throne. He's sitting on his feet. And he's pumping his arm like this. I ain't never been to church now. He's saying, and I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? Like, And this guy ain't missing a beat, man. And he'd get up and knock the guy away. He's like, he's to be saved tonight. And go sit back down. And I'm like, what in the hell am I doing? I've been out all night the night before. I was hung over. And after what seemed like, probably like what you're thinking about my preaching right now, what seemed like two hours and 45 minutes, he leaps from the throne up to the thing. Now, they had these things called pulpits. There's these big, ornate things you stand behind. And it's kind of like who has the biggest one, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Like, look how fancy mine is. You know, and he grabbed this thing. Take your Bibles! I didn't have a Bible, and they didn't have screens. I reach over to the girl, I went, I take her Bible. You've been here before, they ain't gonna yell at you. And I'm telling you, this man pulled this thing back like it was a machine gun, and he mowed down. I'm if it moved, he ran it over. And I, I'll never get now. I ain't that old. I'm 45. I ain't like Doug Knight old. But so this was back, graduated in 94. God, I am old. 
So it was probably at 95, 96. And I just remember he was preaching against rock music. And the example he used was the temptations. You're listening to the temptations here in burning hell. I'm like, burning hell? Over the temptations? I think my grandparents listened to the temptations. And then he said, God, I can't believe I'm going to say it because everybody said, he said, you don't turn at me, God. You're going to fry like bacon. I love bacon. I kid you not if I'm lying. I had a burn mark on my arm at that moment from bacon. I knew what it felt like. Like, I don't want to fry like bacon. He said, we're going to sing a song. I want you to come down. That's all he said, come down. I don't know what come down meant. So if, how many of you, man, I don't want to pick. Listen, I used to be one so I can pick on them. But how many of you grew up in a Baptist church? Baptist church, Baptist church. So they sing this song called Just As I Am. Does anybody know the song? Okay. What's funny is the song is about coming to God just as you are, but they are not going to let you come to God just as you are. That's the, the, the ironic thing about it. You know what I mean? But they will sing this song 733 times till somebody comes down. There's only 37 people in the building. I'm the first one there that's new. I know who they're waiting to come down. I'm looking at the ground. I got my eyes. Like, I feel like if I crunch my eyes quiet, like I could, like my kids, like they, they close their eyes and they're invisible when they're young. I'm like, my eyes are closed. Can't nobody see me. I open my eye. He's like, he's pointing at me. I mean, it's going off my nose. I'm 20 rows back, and that finger, that Cherokee Indian finger. I'll stay here all night. I'm trying to impress this girl. So I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going down. That meant something different then, you perverts. I'm like, I'm going down. I step out, and I go down. And I get down, and no one, do, I don't know what to do once I'm down. I'm thinking they're going to walk me through something. They sing 72 more verses of just as I am. And then suddenly I feel a presence over me. No, it was not God. It was the Cherokee Indian. Do you love Jesus? Mm-hmm. Did you come down to meet him? Mm-hmm. And all joking aside, I felt the presence of God like I've never felt it before. I laugh about it, I joke about it, and I cut up about it, and I preach my voice out over it. But God changed my life that day. I knew that as hard as I'd run for the enemy, I was going to run for God. And I also knew, man, that, listen, a church like this got lucky to reach me. It won't reach most people. I'm going to start a church that's different. Literally, all in the same day, God changed my life. I met a holy God, a God who looked down and took me just as I was. God's not looking for you to get your act together. God's not waiting for you to clean up. God says, I'm God, and I love you just as you are. He says when we approach God, we approach him in holiness. 
We seek his presence. Think about this for a minute. We have the opportunity to talk one-on-one, to worship with the creator of the universe. How many of you remember when you met your wife or your girlfriend or whatever? First met them. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Got three of you remember. You couldn't wait to talk every moment. You fall asleep with your head on the net still talking. And now, man, you DMing with ding Man, and over time, it fades away, and you're lucky if you even talk to him that day and come home and talk over dinner. That's what we do with Christ. He changes our life, and over time, we get stale in that relationship, and we forget how incredible he is. He's powerful. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's big. We're small. We get busy in life and we forget about him. And he said, we go to God and we say, our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed. He's acknowledging God. How? It's me and you're you. And we ought to start our prayer time with just acknowledging who God is. There's times we go to our spouses and we just need to remind them, or we go to our children and we just remind them who they are. I mean, I'm so proud of you. Man, I love you. Man, you are mine. And I'm yours. That's how we need to go to God. We, so when we're learning to pray, the first step is we go to him with a worshipful heart. The second thing, this is going to be hard because, man, we're selfish. Gary Lamb, king of selfish. We should seek God's priorities over our own priorities. We should seek God's priorities over our own priorities. How many of you would say, I'm a pretty selfish person? Be honest. Listen, this church is 80% former addicts. Raise your hands. You ain't fooling nobody. Man, I am selfish. This comes natural. Selfish by nature. And it's tough for me to talk about this one. Look what he says in Matthew 16, the next verse. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Man. So we acknowledge who God is. Then we go to God and say, hey God, I I, want to get involved in your program. I remember when Luke was little one time before bed, he did his normal prayer and, and then at the end, he threw this little curb. He said, hey, let me have some Legos tomorrow, God. Normal prayer for a kid. Our prayer is like that so much, is it not? Our prayer life is all about what we want. What's best for us. God, help me land that job. Let me get that girl. Let me get that guy, knowing that guy's a piece of crap and you don't need to be with him because all your friends have told you and you think God's going to put his blessing on it. Want no amens on that? Hit too close to home? Just can't find a good guy. Yeah, you can. You friends owned him. Mm. Mm. And Rhonda, don't you be praying for no man for at least seven years. This whole church will whoop whoever you bring in this here. 
Ain't it good to see Rhonda? Man. I need a man. I need him now. <laughs> How about, hey, God, if you've got a man out there for me? God, please, let's get on God's program. <laughs> See, we're too busy asking God to get involved in our lives instead of asking God to let us get involved in what he's doing. I said all the time around this church, we don't do anything around here that we ask God to get involved in. We ask God to let us get involved in what he's doing. That's why we start things around here. We do them for a few years. We move on and don't do them anymore. When God's moving in that area, we want to be part of it. When God says it's time to move on, we want to move on. That's why we don't do traditions around here. God, where you're moving, we want to be part of it. God, help us to get on your priority. When we come to God in prayer, we need to understand prayer is not about us. It's all about him. It has nothing to do with us. It's about him. It's about what he's doing. It's about the work he's doing. It's about what he wants us to do. What are his priorities for us? Where does he want us to spend our money? Where does he want us to spend our time? (laughs) Man. We're so I, I, I. And our life would be so much better if it was God, God, God. Had someone call me recently. They moved away. They took a job. They, or they didn't call me, they sent me a message. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I said, man, how are you guys doing? Ah, you know, it's okay. Man, we can't find a church home. Man, we don't have a lot of friends. We just moved here for this job because I, I thought more money would be the ticket for us. We need to start chasing God instead of money. We build our lives around the wrong things. I'm not saying God doesn't ever move people, so don't go saying that. I'm just saying we need to get involved in the priorities of God. God, move us to see where you're moving. Man, we need to learn that principle. We should seek God's priorities over our own. Look what it goes on to say, Matthew 6, 13. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. You want a man? You want the right woman? You want the right job? You want financial freedom? You want great relationship with your children? You want purpose? You want to be clean from the strings you're struggling with in life? Seek him first. Seek him first. And it says all these other things will be given to you as well. I've learned that my life goes a whole lot better and a whole lot smoother when I'm seeking God first. When I'm seeking what Gary wants, we're on the Titanic, baby. It's going to be a fun ride until we sink. (laughs) I put God first. And God's priorities first. Christine, can, she'll tell you. She can tell in my life when God's first. Don't you hate when your wife calls you out? She knows. Seek him first. So the question is, when we're going to God in prayer, what are we really seeking? My prayer life just seems ineffective. Maybe you're making your prayer life all about you. 
instead of about God. I gotta get through this. We should seek God's provisions for our daily needs. For our daily needs. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today. I'm not one to, listen, have a five-year plan, have a 10-year plan, have a 15-year plan, I don't care. I'm not preaching against those things. But we need to learn how to live every day like it's today. I got a friend of mine who told Christina recently, I think he said, I'm eight days away, eight days away from a year being sober. I said, man, you got a year. He said, no, I don't. He goes, I don't know if I'll make it another eight days. I'm like, what? He said, I just got to get through today. It was like 8.30 at night when he told me that. I said, you're good. He said, I ain't good. He said, I'm two hours from home. He was up here in our building. He said, I'm two hours from home. It's Friday night. I'm going to leave here. He goes, you don't know what's going to go through my head over the next two hours as I drive home. He goes, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm just going to get through the next two hours. I was like, wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. He's saying, give me what I need today. Some of you are trying to build something, restore something in your marriage, in a friendship or whatever, and you're trying to repair something. And man, you just need to learn to take it day by day. So many of you are worried about tomorrow and you ain't through Sunday. We need to say, God, get me through today. Because here's the reality. My friend's an alcoholic. But every one of us got something. Every one of us got a hurt, a habit, a hang-up. I don't know what yours is. But you do. Get me through today. Get me through today, God, with my temper. Get me through today, God, with my anxiety. Get me through today, God, with my depression. Get me through today, God, with my drug addiction. Get me through today, God, with my bottle. Get me through today with my sex addiction. Get me through today with no poor. We're worried about forever. And then God take it away from us. And he said, hey, just pray to get through today. Dang it. I should have had Terry do MC Hammer. You got to pray and make him dance and everything just to get through the day. You're worried about a month from now instead of today. Now, don't take that as I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. You got to plan. The Bible talks a lot about planning. But he said when we go to God, we just seek through today. Get me through today. I am the king, as you can tell from this dynamic body of taking on very intensive workout and weight loss things to shock my body. And Chris thinks like, why don't you just take it day by day? Maybe just eat good today. No! 75 days! I'm going to work out twice a day. I'm going to only eat this. I'm not going to do that. I'm in the zone. I've made it seven days once. (laughs) I made it 43 days once. I made it all 75 days once, but on day 76, man, I was like a, a freaking junkie, man. I was eating Ben and... And I said, just getting dialed in. 
than taking it day by day. We need to go to God and ask for today. We're going to go to him with that worshipful heart. We're going to go to him asking about, we're focused on his priorities. And we're going to say, man, God, just get us through today. God, just get me and my marriage through today. God, just get me through today with these teenage kids I got. That I want to snap their necks. Emily last night wants to go to the haunted house. Christine takes her to the haunted house. Ask. Oh, they'll be done an hour. Hour later, 9.30 at night, I drive over there to get her texture. Hey, you'll probably be done soon. I'm outside waiting. We haven't even gone through yet. I thought you knew. You thought I knew what? Like my telepathic superpower was telling me you hadn't went through yet? About that time, Christine, you're such a good dad. Thank you for sitting there waiting. I said, I am a good dad, but I'm ready to whoop her A right now. So there's a lot of visitors today. Be nice and don't cuss. We cuss at this church, okay? Because that's real life. I was steaming. Christian, like, just come home. I was like, I ain't coming home. The church is two minutes away. Drove down the church, stayed on the couch for an hour. Like, she just thought I knew. She's lucky she had her friends with her. Teenagers, man. Kill you. Golly. Problem with us is we don't ask God to provide because we're dumb and think we provide. We think Walmart provides, McDonald's provides, our job provides. Ask all the people last year who found out how much their jobs provide. Oh, we think the government provides. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is because God, the provider, gave it to us. And we go to him every day. Man. Every day. We gotta get, I got to get done. I, so, I want to I camp out on this part. Maybe I'll do a series on it. We should seek God's pardon for our sins. We should seek God's pardon for our sins. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. That's a scary verse to me. He's saying, hey, forgive us as I forgive others. This is the part where we come to God because we acknowledge that he's holy and we're not. And we acknowledge our weakness and we acknowledge why we need him. Because we're powerless to do it on our own. For some of you, you need to do that once a week. For some of you, every two hours. For some of you, like Kylie, every 30 minutes. We go to God and we acknowledge, God, I I need your forgiveness in this area of my life. I need your help with this. God, I'm out of control right now in this area. I need your forgiveness and I need you to help me get dialed back in. I, I can't quit doing it on my own. I need you. Forgive me, Father. Let me tell you what's gonna happen in life. Newsflash, you ready? It's amazing. You're going to screw up. 
You're going to mess up a lot. You are not perfect. So quit carrying around the burden of trying to be perfect. The only person who was ever perfect was saying this prayer. His name was Jesus, and you're not him. The difference is, is when we mess up, we don't be prideful and we acknowledge it. What do they say the first step in getting clean is? Admitting you've got a problem. We go to God and we admit we've got a problem. The Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Some of you think you're better than others because you sin differently. Your sins, you're religious. Your sin is arrogance and pride. The Bible says if, he, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Got to confess them. And he forgives us. <laughs> we seek God's presence. We seek God's priorities. We seek God's provision for day-to-day living. We seek God's pardon for our sins, and I'm done right here. We're going home. I'm going to eat. We seek God's power to overcome temptation. Because it's not just enough to acknowledge you sin and just, ah, I'm a sinner, I was going to keep on doing it. Forgiven. No, we got to ask God to help us get power of that and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the thing you need to realize today Satan is real. We believe that. He's not some cute guy on a screen that owns a club out in L.A. He's real. He wants to get you addicted. He wants you to get your eyes on someone else. He wants you to get focused on chasing the dollar. He wants you to do everything that is anti the will of God. He wants you to pray in a way that you ask God to get involved in your program instead of you getting involved in God's program. (laughs) That's his plan. He wants to throw stumbling blocks at you. He wants you to lose your temper. He wants you to beat yourself up over it. And he'll send every temptation you can. Parents, you decide, man, you're going to be chilled with the kids. You're going to do better with them. You come home and they're hanging from the ceiling fan. Man, you snap. You decide, man, you're going to control your temper and the one person who can bring out the worst in your temper is suddenly around you all the time. You decide, man, I'm going I'm to handle my finances in a godly way and suddenly something breaks in the house and something does this or something does that. And man, we're right back down the rabbit trail. We've got to follow temptation. To fall away from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <laughs> to overcome temptation, got to go to God. I'm going to talk about this next week, but in Isaiah, I've been quoting the scripture a lot. I feel like it's taking me back to this sermon. He says, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. Love that verse. That temptation that we're coming up on. God's already ahead of us. We're the detour. 
Don't go down this road. She's naked. Go down this road. She 450 with clothes on. I can't believe he said that. I'm just telling you. <laughs> telling you. <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Scripture says this, and I'm done. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. <laughs> no temptation has seized you but what, but what everyone else deals with. We all deal with temptation. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Do not miss that. I could not control the temptation. You're lying. Either you're a liar or God's a liar. Problem is you weren't walking in prayer with him. He says, no temptation will overtake you beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out that you can stand up under it. Anybody remember Pac-Man? My move in Pac-Man was not the little dots to eat the ghost. My move in Pac-Man was the side escapes. I'd stay off to the side as much as I could where I could shoot off those because they were a way away from the ghost. That's how God is. I mean, he's got gateways off to the side everywhere. Temptation comes, boom, shoot off to the side. No temptation's overtaking you. There is no temptation that you cannot bear. You're just not in communication with God. If you were in communication with God, your higher power, whatever lingo you want to throw at it there, he's God, by the way. You overcome that temptation. We're an excuse-making society. We love to make excuses for our shortcomings. There's power in prayer. Prayer's not a last resort. It needs to become something that we live daily in. So very quickly, I'm going to throw these up where you can take a picture of them. What are we going to do? Here's how we're going to learn how to pray. We're going to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. We're going to seek God's priorities over our own. It's not about you, it's about God. hate to burst your bubble. We're going to seek God's priorities over our own. We're going to seek God's provision for our daily needs. We're going to take it day by day. Get me through today. We're going to seek God's pardon for our sins. God, I acknowledge that I screw up. I need you to forgive me. And then we're going to seek God's power to overcome that temptation. I don't know how to pray, Gary. Boom, that's how you do it. It's not complicated. Prayer needs to become a daily thing in our life. It needs to become a lifestyle. Well, she's a prayer warrior. No, we all need to be prayer warriors. Not a last resort, a first resort. And I can tell you it will change your life. Let's pray.